Nice. So you understand, I was homeschooled, and my mom decided it's a good idea to throw her son to the wolves and go to school in seventh grade when I haven't been around people my whole life. (laughs) Not a good idea. So I'm homeschooled till seventh grade. You know, recess at home is just me and my brothers and sisters, pretty easy, you know. I'm kind of the coolest kid at that school. Wasn't very hard. So I go to seventh grade. And it's like the first half of the day is pretty easy. You know, I just sit in class and stuff like that. Here's what I didn't know. You guys are really mean to homeschoolers. Did you know that? Like the way that you view them, we're not that weird. We're human. It's like, like being homeschooled creates you some kind of zombie effect that they're, they're like, no, no, man, stay. He's homeschooled. It's like, mm-mm, don't, t- don't breathe on my lunch. I don't want what you got. You ain't going to catch it. I promise. So friendship back then, not as easy as clicking a button. So I'm sitting in class all day, and I'm thinking, I don't have a friend in the world. The closest thing I got to a friend is the kid who just borrowed my pencil, picked his nose, and then touched the pencil, and now I'm out of pencil. So that's not really a friend. That's more of an enemy, I think. So I'm thinking all day, okay, i got to make some friends, you know. And what better than recess? You remember recess. It's this terrible invention where all the mean kids go and play together, and they exclude the little homeschool kid who it's his first year in seventh grade, and he doesn't know anybody, and he's trying to make a friend. That's recess. So... I'm sitting in class, and I'm thinking, okay, at recess, it's, it, you know, I'm going to make some friends. Little did I know how mean you kids were. Little did I know that schooled kids, public school kids, are cooler than homeschool kids because we've been in school our whole life, and we know how it works. <laughs> so I go out to recess, and I suddenly notice, okay, there's groups of people all around. And I'm thinking, you know, I, this is easy. I just pick somebody, and I go over there, and I introduce myself. What do I say? You know, I'm thinking, okay, what would a cool kid say? What would a public school kid say? So I walk up to the, the, the twisty slide group because, you know, the twisty slide was a place to be because it's the most fun thing on the playground. I'm thinking, got to be a pretty cool group. I want to be in the twisty slide group. So I walk up and I uh, came up with this line. Listen to this. Hey, I'm new here. I was homeschooled. That's what I said. Before I knew how mean you guys were. That's what I said. You know, they said, I wasn't ready for this, and you may not remember this, but they said, where's your starter jacket? Do you guys remember starter jackets? They're like these pullover jackets with your favorite team on it, and it had to say starter, because if it didn't, everybody knew you were fake and you were just trying to be a starter jacket kid, but you weren't really a starter jacket kid. I had a zip-up windbreaker that my mom bought me at Target. She said, it's the same thing. It's not the same thing, okay? Windbreakers are not starter jackets. They asked me, where's your starter jacket? I immediately knew, I'm out. They're not going to let me in this group. So they asked me where my starter jacket was, embarrassed me for a little bit. I walked away with my head down, saw the next group over on the basketball court, thought, I'm going to try this group. Turned out to be the jocks. I wasn't a jock in seventh grade. I weighed 92 pounds. I was less than a jock. So if some of you are there, don't worry. You're going to turn into me when you grow up. So you got hope. So I go over to the basketball court. I'm talking to the jock kids, and, you know, I, I introduced myself, and I panicked and said the same line again. I'm new here. I've been homeschooled my whole life. Make fun of me. That's basically what I should have said. And so they, they, the first thing they said to me is, Dylan's faster than you. And I'm like, I don't know Dylan, but I don't doubt you because I'm not very fast. I don't care. Who's Dylan? And so I said, eh, okay. And they're like, you don't think so? Race Dylan right now. And I'm like, okay. I got to beat this kid, and I'm in. And I'm in. It's only uphill from here. You can see, because the way the groups work is it starts at the twisty slide and works around this way. And so I knew I was somewhere, a group somewhere between twisty slide and Booger Jones over on the bench over here, who was in like recess detention for picking his nose and eating it. 
So I knew I was somewhere in between there. So I thought, I'll just work my way down. So I raced Dylan. We take off. It was rainy that day. So you see where this is going. I step in a puddle and I had those uh, like pumps, you know, didn't pump them up. First mistake. I take off, you know, we round, go around the basketball hoop and I'm winning. And I'm like, I did it. I'm in the athletic group. I'm going to get all the girls. I did it. Trip and fall, roll on the asphalt a little bit. You know, I tore my brand new jeans, you know, because you go clothes shopping and all that before school, hole in the knee. And at that point, I had two options which would determine my school career here on out. I could either get up, obviously not going to win the race, but I could finish. That's honorable. You get up from a nasty spill like that, or I could lay there and cry. Which do you think I picked? Yeah, it makes you feel better. I cried a lot. I sat there and I bawled. And immediately I found myself where? On the bench, Booger Jones, who was my best friend for two more years after that. And then I finally promoted myself to the next level. But all that to say, all that long story to say, you guys have it very easy. You, find, you talk to somebody you like. You go type in their name. You click on their picture. You hit send request. And you wait. And I know it can be treacherous, the wait. But oftentimes people accept. And so... We're going to talk a little bit about friendship tonight and how it works and if this is okay, this kind of shotgun friendship as I call it, and we're going to see what the Bible says about friendship. In Ecclesiastes 4.9, the Bible says that two people are better than one, that it's better to have a friend, that when you have a friend and you fall down, you have somebody to pick you back up. But if you don't, you just lay on the ground in the playground and you cry. And then it goes on to say that three strands are not easily broken. That makes sense. You tie three together, it's harder to break than one. And so the question we have tonight is, how do we initiate this day and age with all the social network, with all this stuff going on, how do we initiate good friendships? And not only that, the friendships that we have now, how do we deepen those? How do we improve those? How do we pray for our friends in a way that it makes a difference? And it not only matters to them, but it matters to us. And so tonight we're going to talk about a, a word called intercession. Say that with me. Intercession. All right, everybody. Intercession. You got it. And basically what intercession means is to pray on someone's behalf, to pray for somebody. It's a fancy Bible word that you may hear, but it's all in the Bible um, to intercess on others' behalf. And so we're going to talk about this process and, and uh, what steps we should take to pray for our friends. So I'm going to draw you a little picture here to start. I was a ministry major, not an art major, and every picture I drew in school I ended up getting in trouble for, so don't judge my drawing. Okay, this is a target. Does it look like a target? Should. Bullseye and then the second circles. This is the they circle. And they is like everybody ever. They. This is our close friends. So this is the friends circle. Our friends. And the center is the me circle. That's you. And so we're going to talk about a life of prayer that starts not, if we're going to pray for friends, it doesn't start in the they circle. Got it. Our life of prayer starts right here with us. Why does it start with us, you ask? Good question. And thinking, if I'm praying for my friends, shouldn't I just pray for my friends? Yes, you should. But it starts with me. It starts in the center because you do something when you pray for your friends. You open up a vulnerability in you and you invite them into a place where they are going to come and they are going to take from your spiritual well. And so the more people you have taking from your well, the deeper your well has to be. So prayer doesn't start here automatically praying for everybody and their brother and getting an inch, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep. Prayer starts right here inside yourself. 
and preparing yourself. So you got your notes there. And number one says, start a life of prayer. And so we ask the question, why? And so I want to talk to you real quickly about spiritual authority. If you plan on witnessing to your friends and talking to your friends you know, about church, about God, you have to come from a place to where they respect you, they know you know what you're talking about, and you've lived an honorable life. And that comes from spiritual authority. How do we gain spiritual authority? The first step is to develop rhythms. So write that down. Develop rhythms. R-H-Y-T-H-M-S. Rhythm is not just a musical term, and I'm glad that it's not. Let me tell you a quick story about rhythm. I don't have it. I play guitar, but I kind of fake it in case you see me up there on Sunday morning. If you notice, I'm not even plugged in. They don't even plug me in. So if you see me like playing a solo, it's nothing's coming out. I'm okay with it because I know. But I learned I didn't have rhythm in the ninth grade, high school. I wanted to join a band because all cool people are in bands, I guess. That's why I wear Chuck Taylors is because that's what people in bands wear. And so I wanted to join a band, and I knew some friends of mine in school had a band, and so I was like, hey, you guys need somebody in their band? They're like, yeah, we need a drummer. Do you play drums? And I didn't. I can't still. If I sat back there and played drums, it would be horrible, horrible. So, of course, I'm like, yeah, I play drums. I'm good, real good. Don't have a drum set. Don't even have sticks, but I play. And so they're like, okay, that's cool. You know, we're going to play a garage band kind of show. We're going to have some people at the house so you can play. And I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? It's like four days away. My brother gives me this genius idea. He said, if you break the drum set, then you don't actually have to play the drums. So I'm like, yeah, how do I do that quickly? So I don't know if you know anything about drums, but they each have heads on them. And it's like a thin material, and you tighten it real tight, and you hit it. And that's what gives that drum tone that's so pretty. But if you take the stick and you turn it this way, like you're stabbing somebody, and you hit it in the middle like that, it breaks. And you don't have to actually play. So that's exactly what I did. We show up to this, this gig, if you can call it that, and they're like, okay, you know, we're going to start with this song. Do you know this song? I'm like, of course I know that song. Who doesn't know that song? So I'll hit like this drum and this drum and kick the kick one just like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. So they start in, and first thing I do is I just jab that thing, and I break right through his drum. Kah! Like, sorry, bro, that normally works. That's normally what I do. Break the drum. Get out of that gig. You know, we have to fix it. They're upset, but they understand because I've played drums before and it was an accident. And then somehow this band that I was a part of gets a gig at an, at the high school like abstinence talk to where the whole school is in there. And they're like, we hear you guys are a band and the students want to hear you play. Want to come play this abstinence? Like everybody's going to be in the gym and they're going to talk about abstinence. I'm like, Yep. Yep, I want a part of that. It's a month away, so I'm thinking, I can learn the songs on a drum set I don't have in a month, right? Right? Wrong. Absolutely not. So the day comes, and I haven't practiced once. I put it off every single day practicing. You know, I would do this number, riding to school on the bus. I'm like, yeah, we're playing this song, and I think it goes like this. So if they can just mic my chest, golden. So I show up, and uh, there I sit, you know. One thing led to another, and I'm sitting in front of the entire school, behind a drum set with a band and a drum set that I don't know how to play. So what do you do in that situation? I already broke the drums once, use that one up, can't use it. I kid you not, I had to do this, don't judge me. I fake diarrhea. <laughs> Straight up. Who's gonna argue with that? When someone comes up to you and says, man, I got diarrhea, you're gonna believe them. You're not going to challenge him. You're not going to prove it. No, no, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. I didn't have rhythm. 
I couldn't play. I had to do something else, anything else. So at the risk of my popularity, I fake diarrhea. But rhythms is a consistent process. It's a consistent thing. Rhythm in music is knowing when a beat's going to come and anticipating it and playing your note, playing your chord, hitting your drum on that note. And so we need to develop good rhythms in our prayer life. What does that look like? That looks like knowing the time of day that you pray, setting it aside and saying, this time, this day, I pray. And why do we do that? What is, what is the point of, of having a consistent time in our day and a consistent day daily that we pray? Well, let me tell you, when you begin to get in the rhythm of prayer, things begin to happen in your life. You'll see that you begin to anticipate God meeting you in that place. You begin to expect God to show up. You begin to see signs of God working. And it'll begin in the small places of life and it'll begin to grow. As your faith grows, you'll see more and God do more and you'll ask more and God will give more and it will create more. And so developing a healthy rhythm does just that. It opens your recognition, your recognition of God, his presence in your life. And so part of that, and if you know prayer is coming up in your day-to-day, what can you do? You can prepare. And so a lot of you pray, and you have a daily prayer time, or it may be throughout the day or whenever, but are you really preparing yourself? Because the prayer is one thing, but the preparation of prayer is crucial. To just go through your busy day, and everything's fast, 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 joke, 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 on a computer, do this, and then to sit down and be ready to go, it doesn't work like that. Our minds are not good enough to just shut down and go into a place like that. You have to prepare. You have to slow down your heart. You have to slow down your mind. You have to slow down all that you do and meet God in that place. And so the second little gap you got there is discipline time. Time, T-I-M-E. Go ahead and write it in. And the fact of today's culture is everything goes so fast and there's so much demand of your time, whether it be school or sports or friends or games, whatever. If you're not intentional about giving time to something, you won't because it'll just get and eat up with everything else. So be intentional with your time. Discipline yourself to say, no, no, no. This time early often is disciplined to God and I give it to him. Because the devil is in the business of wrecking you. I don't know if you know that, but there's an enemy out there. And the Bible says that the enemy isn't with each other. It's with the evil one. It's with the devil. We have to band together to fight against him. But he is in the business of wrecking you. He's going after you even now. Every day that you get up and you live your life, the enemy is attacking you. He's coming after you. And you know one of the best things that he has against us is one of his best attacks to keep you busy. The busier he can keep you, the more distracted he can keep you. And it's not necessarily that we neglect God and we say, no, God, I'm not going to pray. We just aren't intentional about having it in our day. We allow ourselves to get caught up in the busyness and everything else in our day, and it just gets washed away with the rest. The priority of your time shows the priority of your heart. Did you catch that? What you make a priority in your life is what you really care about. So what are you giving your time to? Not only that, what are you giving your best time to? Are you finding yourself at night, you know, before you go to bed, throwing up a quick prayer to God and saying, God, thank you for today. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my parents. Amen. Good night. Are you getting up before school, before you have to? Are you submitting to God and saying, God, I don't want to be up at seven o'clock in the morning, but I love you. And I want to give you my best time. I want to give you my first time so that I know no matter what else happens today, that I've had this time with you. 
You can tell somebody or you can tell God all you want that you love them, and you can tell them every day. You can tell them, tell them, tell them, tell them. But there has to be a point where you show them. So make it a point to prioritize your time, to discipline yourself, to show God that you love him by giving him your first and your best. And after you've developed these rhythms and disciplined time, then you devote to his will. And that's your third blank there. Devote to his will. God will prompt you if your heart is open and willing. I can guarantee you that. It'll be this little feeling that you get, this little tug. that You really won't understand it first and can't define it by anything else. It's not the same feeling you get when that girl or guy you like walks into a room. And it's not the same feeling you get on Christmas morning. It's something totally different. And God will tug at your heart. And he'll create this tension and this uncomfortable sense of something within you. And that's God. You know why he creates that tension? Because tension brings about change. That's God desiring to get your attention and to bring you to a place of change. So anytime you feel that tension and something's off, the first thing you should do is not go to your friends and talk to them about it. Not go to your parents and talk to them about it. Sure, eventually, but go to God first and say, God, I feel this tension within me. And I don't like it. I don't like this discomfort. What's going on? And follow his prompts. You guys remember in Facebook what it used to say when you would get a friend request? You remember? I got a picture to show you if you don't remember. It used to say confirm or ignore, right? Do you guys remember that? Show me, you know, who remembers it saying ignore. You know it doesn't say ignore anymore? What does it say now? Show them. Now here's what you see, not now. And I think the people at Facebook were even kind of like, man, that's harsh. Ignore? It's like, mm, ignore, because that's just a punch in the face. I mean, how many of you have been ignored or know that you've been ignored on Facebook? I got my hand up because I have been. You want to talk about awkward, tension, uncomfortable moments? Come face to face with somebody you know ignored you on Facebook. Or worse, have somebody call you out when you've ignored them on Facebook. It's awful. It's like, so, man... Weirdest thing happened, Justin. I, I was on your profile the other day, and I noticed that it said we weren't friends. But I know that, that you've been on Facebook because I've been watching you accept other people's friend requests on my feed. But we're not friends, and it's been a while. What happened? Oh, man, uh, you know, I, they know. You can, you can lie all you want. They know. You put your little mouse over the big fat ignore button, and you slapped your hand down on it, and you said, nope, not today. And you ignored them. Well, the nice people at Facebook decided that we were getting our feelings hurt a little bit by getting all these ignores, so they changed it to not now. But I kind of like the ignore. Because really, like, if it's not now, is it going to be later? Isn't it kind of once a creep, always a creep? So these people that are, that are asking for our friend requests on Facebook, is something going to change? And it's like, you know what, Brian? You were a real creep last week, but this week, confirm. No, ain't going to happen. It's ignore. And so we kind of, you know, we're faced with, with that, that dilemma. Are we going to confirm in the moment or are we going to ignore? Are we going to say not now? Are we going to put it off? How, how do you respond? And much is the same in our prayer life. How do you respond? When God has that, that prompt on you and that tension and that uncomfortable sense, do we push it off and do we say, not now, God, not now? Or do we confirm it? Do we go straight to him? Do we pursue his friendship? Do we pray about it? Because not now, procrastination really is kind of saying, I'm ignoring it. 
devoting to God's will oftentimes and sometimes will mean denying our own. So we have a lot of things that we want, a lot of desires of our own. And sometimes if we truly seek after God, we'll find that mm, maybe God's don't match up with mine. So you got to decide whose is it going to be because you know you can't drive the train both directions. So oftentimes God will prompt us and put that tension in us to get us aligned with him, to get us back on track. So some of you have unhealthy rhythms tonight, and you know it, and you feel it right now. You know that you've been inconsistent in your prayer life. You know that sometimes it's in the morning when you feel like it. Sometimes you pray on, on the way to school. Sometimes you pray before you go to bed. And some of you have unhealthy rhythms outside of prayer, hanging out with the wrong groups, the wrong people, and you think, no, I'm going to hang out with these people because I can change them. I can be the positive one. Yet you're surrounded by a bunch of negative influences. And the Bible has something to say about that, actually. 1 Corinthians 15.33. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. It says, bad company corrupts good character. So your character and your motives, they may be pure. And you may be, you know, you may be naive to say, you know, if I surround myself with bad people, you know, I'm going to win them over to Jesus. But it says right there that bad company corrupts your good character. And it's just a matter of time. So who are you going to let into your circles? Who are you going to invite into your rhythms? What are you going to pray for? I used to be kind of popular in high school. I mean, middle school was tough with the whole seventh grade stuff. But I eventually grew out of it. And like I said, changed my hair like this, spiky, you know, started growing a beard. What do you guys think of the beard? Keep it or get rid of it? Keep it? All right. I was hoping you weren't going to say get rid of it because then I'd, the rest of the time I'd be thinking, man, I wish I could just shave right now. But uh, I'm glad you like it. Thank you. But in high school, you know, I started to grow facial hair, and then it was only a mustache, which wasn't, you know, as cool as a beard, really, but kind of. I still had one up on the other guys who couldn't grow anything, but I wish I had a picture of my mustache. I don't just because I need to save face, and you wouldn't never listen to me again, but it was awful. So, you know, I started to gain a little popularity. I kind of worked my way into the cool crowd, but the cool crowd, you know, they never seem to be the good kids. Why is that? They're always, you know, the kids that you have to conform and be cool, whatever. Whatever. I want to redefine cool to mustaches. Who's with me? Let's do it. So I found myself attending parties. I was a good kid. I never, I, you know, I never drank in high school. I never did any of that stuff. But I would still go to the parties because that's what my friends were doing. And I want to hang out with my friends. And I would continue to tell myself, it's okay that I'm going, I'm a good influence on them. Yeah, it helps when they're all drunk and I'm standing there and everybody's running around chasing each other with like sticks and stuff. You're a real good influence. But I, can, I convinced myself of it. And it really wasn't because my intentions were good at all. It's because it's what I wanted to do. I wasn't pressing into God's will. I was following my own. And one day it happened. We're all out at my friend Micah's house. His name was Micah. I'm not making a mistake again this week. So we're all out at his house. And, you know, everybody's kind of doing their own thing. There was alcohol there and stuff like that. Uh, and then all of a sudden we see those awful blue and red lights. And it pulls up to where we were. We were kind of back in his woods and had a campfire. And people were being loud. So the neighbors called. So the cops come. So what happens when the cops come? People come up and they admit they've done wrong. No, they run. They take off. They get out of there. I didn't know this because I've never been in this situation. 
So I guess the right thing to do for all those people was to, boom, jet gone into the woods. What I did when they shine a light on me is this number. Uh, didn't know which way to go, didn't know what to do, panicking. No lie, I dropped to my knees, head to the ground, hands on my head, and yelled, just don't shoot me, just don't shoot me. That was as bad as crying in seventh grade. It took me right back to the bench, and I stayed there for the remainder of high school. But something happened. You know, my parents were called by the police, something you never want to happen. And no amount of excuses or anything that I made would patch up where I was and what was going on in the situation I put myself in. So I had a long, long talk with my dad that night, and we kind of came to the conclusion together. You know, he helped me get there really quickly, um, and we decided, you know, no more parties. You know, Friday nights, Saturday nights, you know, I'd find another group to hang out with. And so as that became my rhythm and I started to do that, it was a change that people noticed. I wasn't there anymore. So it started a conversation. They were asking, where you been? Like, why are you, you know, we haven't noticed you're hanging out with us anymore. And it was the change that initiated the conversation with them. It wasn't that I was doing overly good yet. You know, it wasn't that I was carrying in handfuls of Bibles and passing them out in the cafeteria and stuff like that. But I wasn't going with the current anymore. I stopped. And the current kept going. And people noticed that because it was different. And so the conversation began. So there's some conversations that you guys need to be having with your friends and with yourselves mostly. And you can see in the blanks there, conversations we need to have is about them, about your friends, to God. And what are you saying to God about your friends? Are you praying for them? I mean, in all reality, 32, is that number manageable for me to pour into, to let come take from my spiritual well, to pour into, to mentor, to pray for? It's a little overwhelming. It's a little unrealistic for, this, for, for me right now. Maybe you're a spiritual giant that can handle it and go for it. More power to you. But I, w- I want to propose something. Maybe one. One friend. Maybe we start with one friend. And maybe when I said one, that person popped in your head right now. Maybe they're sitting next to you. I don't know. But starting with one and praying for them, talking about them to God. Saying, God, you know, it'd be really cool if this person came to church with me. That'd be really cool if they'd stop doing this. It'd be really cool if I could encourage them in this way. And I'm not suggesting you pray them all the way up the stairs, you know. It's like standing at the bottom of a staircase and looking all the way up and saying, I'm never going to get to the top. I can never help this person get to the top. What I'm suggesting is talking about them to God and helping them get up the first step and taking it one step at a time. And once they get to that first step, you, you change the conversation to your next blank and talk about God to them. And so you begin to have a conversation with them about God. And you open that door. And you've been spending most of your time and your rhythms here deepening your well. And you're inviting them in to say, come on, come on, I got something I want you to know about. I got something I want you to hear. And people will follow what's inspiring. God is inspiring, I assure you. Same reason I hate Twilight but love Gladiator. I'm sorry. How many girls like Twilight? Hey, not that many. All right. How many guys? You're brave. Come on, do it. You got one, couple. That's okay, man. They play baseball. That's kind of manly. But the reason I hate Twilight and I love Gladiator is because to me, Gladiator's inspiring. 
here you have this guy who sits, you know, with a bunch of other dudes and he's got a sore and he's picking up dirt and he's rubbing it on his hands just to prove like, if you already didn't know I was a man, I'm rubbing dirt into my skin. It makes me a man. And then he goes into this arena and he just battles other guys and spits and yells and cuts people. It's inspiring and he wins. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. In Twilight, they're like hitting baseballs really far and sparkling in the light and biting people. It's like, what's inspiring about that? It's like a nightmare. He doesn't love it. I don't see the love story in it, by the way. It's gross. But when I talked about Gladiator and I talk about the main characters in that, how I portray them to you and how I view them is how you'll view them. Same thing happens with God. How you view God will determine how you portray him. You get that? How you, the person who's talking to your friends, how you view God is how you'll portray him. And it's how they'll view God. So how do you view him? Are you spending time getting to know him? Just like anything, anybody else. I mean, how do you know your best friends? Was it just talking to him for five minutes before you go to bed, call him up, say, tell me everything I know you, you can tell me about you in five minutes? No, 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 no. You spend time with him. And what kind of time are you spending with him? Is it just fluffy light time or do you dig into some pretty serious stuff? Do you talk about the stuff that makes you uncomfortable that you don't want to talk about? Are you being honest with God? Are you having that time with him? The healthier your view of God, the healthier your portrayal of God. You get that? So the better you see him and the true God that you see in your mind, the God who, who sent his son to die for us, the God who loves you, the God who gives you peace, that is the God we need to be portraying to our friends. And you don't learn it by, by just going through your day and skipping over it. You learn it spending a lot of time right here, a lot of time right there, early, often. And so this kind of happens, you know, in the world. You know? The world views Christians and the you know, only thing they have to go by is how we're living our lives. They look at Christians, they call us hypocrites because of the ones. The ones have added up. The Christian here and the Christian here. This person saw this Christian do that. And all of the ones added up to create a worldview. But I'm proposing we reverse that, you know, and it starts tonight. So how we're portraying God and how we're living our life and how we're ministering to our one, that's where it starts. And that's the process of going from here to here, to the next circle. And we talk to our friends. But we can't conceal the conversation. It's number three on your notes. And what I mean by conceal the conversation, when we finally have deepened our well to where we invite our friends in to come and to learn and we pray for them, we spend time talking with them. Because if you pray for a friend and you are intentional about it, the way you view them will change. And the way you talk to them will change without you even knowing it. And God will begin to work through you and use you to change that person's life. I promise you it works. And so we don't conceal the conversation between us. We let others in. We let them see, you know. You can keep your one, but you can invite others in to a healthier setting. You can invite them to see what the conversation taking place between you and them. And you allow others to join in the journey, to watch. People notice people who are different. And that was your blank. Allow others to join in the journey. And I say people notice people who are different because you just do. I mean, when the entire world and your school is going this way and partying comes easy, I get it, and wasting time with video games comes easy and getting caught up in sports comes easy and all of that is natural, 
I get that. But what God is calling you to, what I'm calling you to tonight is to take a stand and not get caught up in that, but to develop a rhythm where daily you anticipate and you inspect to meet God. And so tonight, we're going to kind of have a time of prayer and a time for you guys to respond, a time for you guys to join me in this, to pick a friend. And, uh, you know, I'm sure many of you have been thinking about it since, since I mentioned one. And so what we're going to do is there's going to be a poster up here, I'm sure, and uh, it's going to give you guys a chance to sign it. And basically what you're saying when you come up and sign it is you're going to commit to healthy rhythms. You're going to commit to a life that is healthy. A prayer life that is predictable, a prayer life that anticipates and expects God to move daily. But what also you're committing to is to pray for one friend. And you're gonna come up, you're gonna sign, and you're gonna pick up one of these cards that looks like that. Everybody has seen this if you have a Facebook. And excuse me, everybody's gotten a little excited about this red circle right there. I know I have. 32 times this week I got excited about it. And so what you're gonna do is you're gonna come up, you're gonna pick one of these up when you sign. And on the back, if you know the person now, you're gonna write their name that you're gonna pray for, that you're gonna commit to praying for, you're gonna commit to changing the way you serve people. You're gonna write their name on the back, you're gonna take it with you. And I want you to stick it wherever your computer is, wherever you get on Facebook, wherever you spend the most time at home. And I want you to see it. And what this is gonna do, it's gonna serve as that little God prompt, that little tension, because you're gonna see it and you're gonna think about what it represents and it's gonna cause that connect in your heart. And you're going to be faced with a choice to make. The choice is confirm or ignore it. And the more you ignore it, the more you starve it, you know, the further it gets. And the more you say yes, the more it intensifies. And the more you see and the more you feel. And so, posters here. Just got the cards. The band's going to play a song. I want, you know, I want to invite you to pray, sing along, come sign on with this. And uh, we're just going to worship. I'll come back when we're done and tell you where we're going from here. So let's worship. Mm -hmm.